The teachings of General Conference are the considerations the Lord would have before us now and in the months ahead. Our marching orders for each six months are found in the General Conference addresses. For the next six months, your conference edition of the Ensign should stand next to your standard works and be referred to frequently. I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I exhort you to study the messages of this conference frequently, even repeatedly, during the next six months. You're listening to the Conference Talk Podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Each weekend, we discuss talks from the most recent general conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We share some insights, we make some connections, and hopefully we have a bit of fun as we study the words of the men and women God has called to direct His Church in these the latter days. I'm Melissa Fugaza, and I am here with our special guest, Jennifer Roach. And this is episode nine, where we're talking about Elder Kieran's talk and Elder Idukaitis' talk. So Jennifer Roach, you are a guest on this first time on our podcast. We are so excited to have you. Welcome. Thank, Thank you, you for joining. Here. Yay, we're so excited. Could you do us a favor and just introduce yourself and tell us what you're all about? Yep. Uh, my name is Jennifer Roach. I am married. Uh, my husband and I live in Seattle. Our son is 21. He lives in Utah, going to school down there. I am a convert to the church. I got baptized three and a half years ago. Before my <laughs> baptism, I was in the regular, like the normal Christian world. I was ordained um, as a pastor in another um, Christian church and every week gave sermons and did weddings and did all the stuff that you do in a church. Um, I read the Book of Mormon. It flipped my life upside down. <laughs> I had to resign from that church. Um, and it's the one of the best things I ever did. My goodness, thank you so much. I'm so excited to talk to you about not only these talks, but just kind of your experience as being a new-ish member of the church and your um, impressions. So I am going to start off with my very first question is, what was your first impression of General Conference as a new member? <laughs> so my first General Conference experience, I think, is radically different than anyone else's. And you, they should not use my experience as any kind of template <laughs> what it might be like for them. Oh, I'm excited now. <laughs> the The very first time I went, or the very first time I listened to the entire thing, I actually got to go in person. Um, my bishop had given me a couple of, t- like two tickets to two different sessions. And off I drove to Utah to go to go listen to the conference. And I was I was by myself, but met up with a girl from our ward who had told me, she's like, you know, my husband and I are gonna be there and like maybe we can sit together or something. And I was like, great, we'll we'll meet up. It it turned out her dad is in the 70. He has given conference talks, Elder Cock. Um, he made it so that I got some extra tickets. I ended up getting a ticket to every single session. So cool. I got to sit in like the fifth row for wow. one of the sessions. Like who, get, who gets to do that? That's amazing. <laughs> it was so much fun for me. Um, since then, and it, mostly because of COVID, but also just practical reasons, I've always watched at home, like everybody else in my pajamas, um, and that's a lovely experience too. It's a it's a totally different thing to go in person because you're dressed up and you have to sit there and act like a 
normal adult human being and not run to the <laughs> kitchen for cinnamon rolls every five minutes. Right. Oh my um, gosh. But my, but my first time going was just, just a complete delight. That's so amazing. I love, I just love hearing about that because yeah, as a member of the church, I've been a member of my, the church my entire life. Um, and I have been blessed and honored to go in person as well. Like you back in the day when we would actually go in the tabernacle and we'd have to like go wait in line. Some people would even camp overnight and they line up at the temple square oh like, and then they'd shove us. And I would, I laugh about this experience now because we get in there. I mean, we drove from Arizona. So we drove from Arizona. We get there. We're waiting hours and hours, especially if it's, you know, for some reason in Utah, for me, at least in my experience, the first weekend in April or the first weekend in October, it doesn't matter. It's cold. It's rainy. Yeah. It's snowy. I don't know what it is. So you're in the cold. You're waiting in this long line. They get you into the tabernacle and the tabernacle is made of a bunch of, I don't know if you've been in there, but a bunch of wooden pews. Yeah. So no cushioning. And they would shove us in there like sardines. I mean, we are just on the laps of strangers. It is just, you're shoved in there and you get in there and conference gets started and it starts to warm up, you know, cause there's a lot of people in there. And then of course you get kind of drowsy. You're kind of like sleepy. Yeah. Many times I would just kind of found myself like, you know, doing the head jerk, falling asleep thing. And I'd sleep through part of it. So I, yeah, <laughs> I'm with you on the uh, wearing your pajamas at home. We call it pajama church at my house. I love it. It is like my favorite thing ever. Love it. So awesome. Thank you so much for sharing about your first experience. I think it's so cool. Now, I love we've chosen, you and I have chosen two talks to cover tonight because we're overachievers. Um, The first one is from Elder Kieran. Mm -hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Elder Kieran. And... I love this talk because, as a matter of fact, right when I heard it, um, I texted Matthew Watkins, who's another host on this show, and I said, "Um, I don't care what I have to do, but I want to cover this talk, whoever wants to do it with me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's called, sorry, I'm pulling up the title, He is Risen with Healing in His Wings. Now, the cool thing about having you on as a guest, not only about the fact that you're awesome, but you were also a trained mental health professional. You're a mental health therapist. And I think this is amazing that we're covering this talk. So what were your first impressions? What are some thoughts that you had as you listened or watched this talk? Yeah. So I actually had the same experience as as you. As soon as it was over, I texted, I don't know, my four or five people. and was like, were you listening? That was the best talk ever. (laughs) Um, Yeah. uh, I... I am a mental health professional, but I'll be honest, my interest in this talk was way more personal than it was professional. Um, it, like, can I, can I indulge you in a story? Please do. So when I first got interested in the church, it was because I was in a lawsuit against the church where I grew up because that's where I had been sexually abused. Right, so I, I grew up in California, this big Baptist church, um, and they had a number of teenagers, kind of one youth pastor after another at this church were abusing kids, and, and, and I was one of them. And it was getting written about in the papers, um, and we were going to court. And one of them, the main reporter who was writing about this is a member of the church, which I knew, and it didn't, 
it hadn't, it didn't really impact anything in, in, in terms of how it was covered. It's just something I knew about him. Um, and one day the church that I was suing, um, and one, by the way, <laughs> good. they announced that they were going to give a sermon um, as kind of a response to this lawsuit. And so I listened, they had it online. I listened to this reporter listened. And our plan was let's, let's talk on the phone a couple of days later and, and talk about their response. Was it a good response or, or wasn't it? And the, the pastor, he chose to talk about Moses and basically his point was, well, you know, Moses messed up, but he was still a good leader. So sometimes our leaders mess up, but they're still good leaders. Like that was basically the gist of it. And so I was spitting mad <laughs> and yeah. I'm blah, 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 telling this reporter all the reasons I, I hate this sermon. And he says, yeah, he says, he says, I didn't like it either, but, but I have different reasons. I'm like, oh, oh really? Like, like, tell me. He says, well, I have scriptures about Moses that you don't have. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? No, you don't. <laughs> he says, yeah, I, I do. So I, you know, I'm pretty offended at, at his treatment of Moses because that's not the Moses I know. And so I go into, you have to tell me what you're talking about. <laughs> I mean, poor guy, he's a reporter. So imagine like a a newsroom, even like you've seen on TV, and they're all bunched in there together, low walls, everybody can hear everybody. And he at that moment kind of gets shy and says, I'm at work, I can't talk to you about scripture right now. <laughs> like, okay, all right, you know, that, that, that's fine. And we finished our conversation and hung up the phone. And I think really, as soon as we hung up the phone, I texted him of like, can you please tell me what you're talking about with Moses? <laughs> so I read the Book of Moses. I read the Pearl of Great Price. I read, I was halfway through the Book of Mormon before I ever met the missionaries. Oh, wow. My entrance into the church really started because I was involved in this abuse lawsuit. So to hear a talk like this in general conference, where he so specifically and directly addresses abuse, for me, it just felt like, oh, this is, this is so good. This is so wonderful. Um, I am not naive enough to think that everything, all abuse issues in the church have always been handled perfectly. I don't think that, I don't think that's true. I think there's plenty of things in the past that maybe could have been handled better. People did the best they could. And sometimes it wasn't great. Um, and that now our church is at a place of saying like, abuse is never the victim's fault it is not tolerated. You will have to answer to God for this. Like his whole, his whole talk just lays it all out in such a clear way. My experience, granted, I was taking this church to court, so I wasn't their favorite person, but I got this Baptist church where I grew up. I got lots and lots and lots of justification from them about why this happened to me and it was probably my fault and blah, blah. Like they just sidestepped responsibility every single way that they could. Um, so I, I love this talk because of how clearly it lays out where the responsibility for abuse lies. That's amazing. I love general conference talks. And one of the reasons why I came to be a person on this podcast is because of this exact moment. I got a totally different feel from this talk, but it's not wrong. Like we all, I just love how a talk is given yeah. and the spirit just like, spreads his amazingness over all of us and we get what we need to hear from this talk. And it just, it's just amazing to me. 
So I actually um, have depression and anxiety. I was not accurately diagnosed for a long time. Of course, I'm four, almost 44 years old. So when I was a younger kid, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't very common yeah. for kids unless we were, you know, like hurting other people or hurting ourselves physically that we could be properly diagnosed or whatever. But um, so I loved this talk um, a little bit from a mental health standpoint, Mm -hmm. because even though I very thankfully have never been sexually abused or physically abused, um, I have sustained some emotional abuse and some verbal abuse. And I'm sure everyone has in the world that we live in had some degree of abuse. And you're right. It was just so beautiful how this talk was just so clear. Mm-hmm. And he, he numerous times I highlighted it and I'm not going to bore us with every detail of when I highlighted it, but numerous times he kept going back to saying, it's not your fault. Yeah. You are the survivor. It is not your fault. You don't need to repent because you are not responsible. Yeah. And, um, there was one part, is there anything else you want to say about that? As I've been talking about it, as I find this, you know, um, I'll, I'll tell you about an experience and I'm going to, um, obscure the details just a little bit. Cause it's a person in my life. Okay. Um, a friend who I knew growing up, her dad sexually abused her and, and one other sibling and they were members of the church. Um, when it all came to light, the, and I mean, I want to be careful saying this because I know this has not been everybody's experience. Right. With either our church or, or churches in general. But when it came to light, the the decisions that were made um, were so in support of the the two girls who were victims, their their safety, their mental health was prioritized over the perpetrator who happens to be their dad. Mm-hmm. Um he had a membership council and I don't know what it's called anymore. Disfellowshipped. Um, the, the fact that at least today, this is a church where that has gotten right, at least sometimes um, to, to me that like reaffirms the truth of this church. And I know that there, there might be people listening who are like, no, no, no. I, I went through abuse and it was handled terribly. I, I, I get it. And I'm, and I'm really sorry for that. And Here's this talk trying to do better, perhaps, than has been done in the past. And I just love that. Yeah, I like how the church, I love how these issues are being brought to light on a worldwide forum. Mm-hmm. Journal conference, this is, this is. I always say to my kids, journal conference is not just for members of the church. Journal conference is for the world. Yeah, The prophet is not the prophet of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's the prophet of the world. And so I love when you have the leaders of the church get up on that podium Mm -hmm. in the conference center and they share messages like this. This is for the entire world. This is not just for our church members, Um, but you're right. I too have known um, several people within the church that have had these issues. And um, I, I, I appreciate your point of view because I never really thought about it, but thankfully a majority of the ones that I knew the victim was treated very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sad that your situation was not so much like that. Not at all. <laughs> not remotely. And that's horrible. Um, especially because as we look in this talk, like, uh, so Elder Kieran is really great. He, he lays out 
First, he talks about the promises to covenant Israel, and that's really cool and spiritual and about the challenge he took to read the scriptures and um, stuff. So I don't want to bypass that completely, but everyone go read that talk, watch that part of the talk because it's so good. But we're going with what we're talking about here. Um, He said to those that are surviving, one of my favorite parts is he says, we yearn for you to overcome the confusion, shame, and fear. And we long for you through Jesus Christ to conquer. Yeah. Oh, it just gave me the chills. The, we yearn for you and we long for you. I just think that was so beautiful. I loved that. Like the mental health therapist part in me loves that because when people come for therapy who have gone through any kind of abuse, there's often this despair of this terrible thing happened to me and I'm never going to get over it. And I'm always going to be weird in relationships and I'm just broken for life. Right. And this talk makes it very clear that that does not have to be the case. Yeah. And so as you were talking, I was thinking about a total mom fail moment that I had. So I have a 12 year old daughter and she is, she is a voracious reader. She's like me. She loves books. And I did a stupid thing and I got her this book. I'm a world war two nerd. I love world war two stories. Just, I don't know. It's a thing of mine. So I found this book and it was in the juvenile fiction section. Right. And I read the back and I was like, Oh yeah, this takes place world war two. It's about a girl kind of her age. This would be great. Kind of a little bit of realism. Cause I, I homeschool my kids. So I'm like, okay, you got to kind of inject some reality here, you know, not bubble wrap everything. So I hand her this book, I hand her this book and she starts to read it. And after like two chapters, she stops and she comes to me and she says, mom, I can't read that book. And I said, well, why not? And me just thinking, oh, she's bored or she doesn't like it. You know, that's my first go-to. And she's like, I just can't read it. It's, it's not good. It's, I don't like it. And it doesn't make me feel good. And I was like, okay, that's a response I had not had before. So I said, okay, fine. We'll deal about it later. Told her to put the book away. Couple nights later, she she had had these horrible nightmares. Oh. And she's freaking out, and I and I I went out on an errand during the day one day, and we had a little friend over, and her and my other daughter, who's seven, and the friend were out in the backyard mm-hmm. playing. And we occasionally we have planes passing over our house from mm-hmm. a nearby local airport, and apparently one of these planes was a little too close for comfort, kind of loud, and my oldest daughter panicked and she told all the girls she said everyone go inside the house oh wow and and my husband was working inside and he was like what what's going on and she finally confessed to him that she had read this scene in this book and had given her nightmares for these past few days because we knew we were up Mm -hmm. and she just wouldn't say what it was so finally my moment i opened the book right and it's this book and i read it and the Second chapter in, these two darling girls that are the characters, they're like 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. They live in France. It's during the war, but France hasn't been take occupied yet. Mm-hmm. They live kind of on a beach town. They're out walking the beach. They see this pregnant woman that they know. She comes walking up to them. Anyway, long story short, a German plane comes by, drops a bomb on the beach, oh. blows the pregnant woman like up. Oh, and there's... Wow graphic description of what that looks like. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because the two characters in it, two girls. Okay. One of them's the main character of the story clearly is totally traumatized, right? Her friend is 
catatonic. Yeah. She cannot speak. So she takes her friend home, takes her to her mom, tells her what happens. She's able to verbalize that. And then she goes home and she's able to verbalize with her family. So you come to find out as the, as the story continues, the catatonic friend never recovers. Oh, she wow. never speaks again. And she's just, she sits in her house in the corner, doesn't can't function. Her mom has to take, nurse her, take care of her. I think she ends up passing away like 10 years later. Mm-hmm. And then the main character goes on to be this, it is based on true story, obviously, but the main character goes on to be this, you know, healthy, thriving person, this human being, even after something that went through it. And it just, it just reminded me of how truly important mental health is. These two girls went through the same experience, yeah. right? And just what was what was the support and all that stuff. And so as I was reading this uh, talk, conference talk, I did have the impression, uh, because I do want to pick your brain a little bit as a professional, because how can we help people, our loved ones, how can we help them realize that they are loved, that they are not to blame, that you know, that God loves them. He doesn't, he doesn't see it as we think he sees it. He loves them no matter what. They're not despicable. They're not, what does it say? Elder Karen said despised in his eyes. Mm -hmm. We're never to be someone to be despised. So how can we help our loved ones see that? Yeah. It's a really good question. My experience with, with people who come as clients tends to be if they've been through a trauma and they're not coping well, like, obviously, if they're coping well, I never meet them. The ones who aren't coping well, it usually goes in one of two directions. And and it almost always is is relational in, in some sense um, where, where the trauma gets played out. People either become like clingers and they're so anxious, like they can never let their mom out of their sight. They're, they're terrified. If dad's away on a business trip, he's going to die. They're, they're, they're just like, they just cling to their safe people or they become um, kind of like a little turtle in its shell and so afraid of all the world that just retreating into themselves is the only thing that makes sense. Okay. Friend, friends and family around them, um, understandably, get annoyed and confused by these behaviors and don't know what to do with them, right? And so sometimes, like, if you're a clinger, sometimes people, especially if we're talking about kids, oh, get over it. Oh, everything's fine. And, and they'll tell them stuff like that. And it never works. Right. right? Even the person who goes in their little turtle shell, you are not going to convince them to come out. The The best thing to do when your loved one is, they're living out their trauma in front of you is almost kind of have a an attitude that says, like, Oh yeah, you get, you get real nervous sometimes and you get afraid that I'm going to die. But here I am like almost, almost a matter of factness of accepting this is where they are in their trauma. Like, okay, this is a trauma response. It's a common one. It's what people do. Um, It only gets made worse (laughs) if the friends and family treat them as if they are damaged because of it, instead of being able to say, like, you know, gosh, I understand you have to go hide in your cave every time you get overwhelmed. And I'm here when you come when you're ready to come out. Like you're 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 dealing with your trauma. Your response is OK. I'm here for you and I love you. I accept you exactly as you are, whether you're clinging, whether you're hiding or acting out. And I mean, people act out in all kinds of weird ways. 
right? Um, and especially if you're talking about teenagers, not denying that, that the trauma is impacting them, but kind of just loving them anyway, accepting them exactly as they are. I love that. I love the accepting exactly as they are, because that is how Jesus Christ is. Mm-hmm. He loves us exactly as we are. He knows exactly what we're going through. He knows our struggles and he's willing to, he's walking with us every step of the way. It's not, yep. you have to get to this point before he meets you there. Um, thank you for that. I think that's really awesome. Um, okay. So before we move on to the next talk, uh, I did also want to say, I love, I love what we're talking about, um, while other Karen was saying, um, there's a section he says from victim to survivor to conqueror. Mm-hmm. And he said, there's these things that people say, like I could have prevented this. Yeah. God doesn't love me anymore. Nobody will ever love me. I am damaged beyond repair. The Savior's atonement applies to others, but not to me. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, it just that's, angers me. <laughs> yeah, that's every traumatized client I see all day, every day. They 100% believe it's their fault. And here's my theory on why that happens to people. Um, think of like a, a five-year-old kid and his parents come in and tell him, mom and dad, we're going to get divorced. Dad's going to move out. Every single time, guaranteed, that little kid thinks it's his fault. Right. Right. And and here's why. It's way easier for that kid even to imagine, oh, if I would have kept my room cleaner, if I would have just ate all my dinner, dad wouldn't be moving out. Because it's an illusion that you have some control and and admitting that you can actually be so betrayed and harmed by the, the very people who are supposed to be taking care of you. It's too much. It's too much for a child and it's too much for most adults. Even like I have clients way older than me in their 60s and 70s and we're processing their childhood abuse and they still believe, oh, it, it was my fault. I did this or I did that or I said this or, or I, I didn't tell or I should have known or, or whatever. Um, and that's a it's a defense mechanism that has protected them, protected them a little tiny bit from the pain that you can be betrayed that badly. Right. But one of the, one of the parts I love in this talk is he makes a really clear line between if you have been betrayed and hurt this badly, so is Jesus Christ. And he understands, and he did not deserve the betrayal that happened to him in the same way that you do not deserve the betrayal that happened to you. Um, And, and untangling beliefs like that, I don't want to say therapy is the only way to do it. The people I see, it's the only way to do it because they're in therapy. Um, there, there probably are some other ways that people do that, but often it takes visiting a professional where you can systematically go through those kinds of thoughts, deconstruct them, and replace them with something that's more more true. If you if you know a thought is not based in reality and you choose to believe it anyway, we call that being delusional, right? So the the process of of taking someone, helping them see you believe something that isn't true and it's kind of delusional and it's messed up your, your, your camera on life. And let's fix, let's fix the camera lens so that you actually can see things a little bit better. And that's a very long process. And every victim that I've ever known goes through that in cycles. 
they do really, really well for a while, and then they decompensate and drive their friends crazy, and then they do really well for a while, and around and around and around you goes. And, and, and it can be a lifelong process. It also can be, I don't know, six solid months in therapy of like, let's really, really like put our heads down and work on this trauma and get your 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 thinking clear, and things can radically improve. Oh, yeah, that's so true. I um I just I I think my final thought about about mental health, I guess in general, since that was kind of what we pulled out of this talk, is it's just it's so commonplace. Everybody everybody has some level of something that they need to deal with, especially after what we went through with COVID in 2020. You know, we all just I mean to have your life our lives, I shouldn't say your life, everyone's lives were turned upside down. The norm was totally changed. Um, and I, I, I know we are now seeing things kind of coming unraveled because of that with a lot of people. Um, and so I love, uh, his talk. I know it wasn't just specifically about like mental health, but I love how he really, that just kind of felt, I feel like it soothed my soul listening to it and that they knew that yes, what we're going through, what we've have gone through, whatever, we need to help. We need to help them feel like they're being heard. And it's a fantastic talk. It's my favorite conference talk, really, of of all the conference talks I've ever heard. Wow, amazing! I know I loved it. I'm so glad we mentioned before the podcast started that you and I both. I hadn't even met you before, but I love how you and I are both like we need to cover this talk in this podcast. <laughs> it just resonated so much with us. Okay, so I'm going to move us on to the next talk. This is from Elder Idukaitis, who I have a little bit of a soft spot for. I Just a little bit of backstory. Um, I served a mission in Brazil. My husband's actually Brazilian. I met him on my mission. I know, okay. gasp, scandal. <laughs> Elder Idukaitis is Brazilian, but he has legit the best laugh ever. If you ever get a chance to hear him laugh, I think he might have even laughed in this talk. Oh, that's hysterical. It's just the best laugh. I don't know even how to describe it, and I'll do a total disservice if I try to imitate it. But um, so that's another reason to listen to it. If he t- if he laughs, you can hear it. But um, so I love the fact, and I, I I I hesitate to say this because I feel like everybody kind of walks away with a different idea of a recurring theme at conference. But for me, Definitely, if I were to pick the main topic of general conference this past one, it would have been missionary work. Yeah. You felt that way too? Yeah. So um, how do you feel? So you being a convert to the church, I know you did. You talked about how you came across the church, but how did it go with missionaries? Like once they came into the picture and your top, your lessons and things? You know, so I took lessons with the missionaries for nine months, not because I was unsure. I knew pretty early on I wanted to join the church, but uh, my family obviously had some concerns. And so my husband had asked me, like, give it at least until after January. So I said, okay. So everybody knew I was in lessons for a long time. And I actually, (laughs) I wanted to take lessons from sisters um, and didn't understand, like, oh, you live in an area and that area is assigned to a certain ward and the ward is assigned certain missionaries and the, oops, it's elders in my ward. Um, And so one day I actually, I was driving my car, but my friend, the reporter, he had had told me several times, says, you know, 
there are missionaries that will sit with you and answer all the questions you have. They will, they will talk your ear off if you want them to, like, you should talk to the missionaries. And I was always like, absolutely not. (laughs) I will never be able to sit down and talk to the missionaries. I'm employed by another church. That's never happening. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So one day I'm driving down the road and I saw two sister missionaries on the side of the road and they were walking and I see their name tags and I'm, you know, speeding by and, and just absolutely felt God saying like, you need to go talk to them. So I turned my car around and, and parked my car and got out and I, I kind of, you know, I'm marching towards them. They told me later that they were um, really nervous that I was coming to <laughs> yell at them. <laughs> They're like, you were on a mission and we thought we were in trouble. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I walked up to them and I just said, like, look, I'm I'm reading the Book of Mormon and I need somebody to help me with some questions. And and they about fell over. <laughs> but we started, we started lessons. And so my lessons were always me, those two sister missionaries, or whatever sisters came in and swapped out with them over nine months. The two elders from the ward I was assigned to, often a senior missionary couple, often a person from the ward I'm assigned to, plus my friend, the reporter, joined us on Skype to join in the lessons from California. Wow. <laughs> there was like 10 of us most most weeks. <laughs> so I got, um, I mean, I guess one way to say it is I got tons of attention from the missionaries. Um way more than I probably ever imagined that would, would happen. Um, I love all of my missionaries. I am still in contact with most of them. They are delightful. I've gotten to those two girls I saw on the side of the road. I got to meet up with them about a year ago. And when I had seen them on the side of the road, we took a picture together, the three of us. And so when I saw them about a year ago, we recreated it. And awesome. It exactly the same. That's amazing. <laughs> like I adore them. And the reality is still that it's the it's the normal adults who are in my ward who who really carried part of the the heavy load of helping me like fully come into the church. Um, the missionaries were great. I love all of them, but when I when I first started attending, we were still doing three hour church, so the mm-hmm. gospel principles class was still a thing. So I was attending gospel principles with I don't know twenty people probably from my ward who were just regular members who for whatever reason were in that class. Most of the time, I was the only investigator, and I came with a notebook of questions. And at first, they were like, "Oh, here's the assigned lesson for today, and we're going to talk about this." And eventually I'm like, look, when are we getting to my questions? Because I've got them. (laughs) And so they sat with me Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and during the week and texts and phone calls and walks around the park and on and on and on and on and on and absolutely supported me in into the church. They were the, the like member missionaries that I completely needed. My gosh, I love every part of this experience that you had because this is truly the key um, to being a missionary. It's not about, you know, it, it. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but like it really is. Every member of missionary, it used to be the go saying for a long time, every, every member of missionary. And it really is true. I served a proselyting mission for 18 months down in Brazil and 
It was really, I mean, it was so hard. We'll get to that a little bit later because that's a lot of Elder Agakaitis' talk. But I, the, the success stories that we had as missionaries were not because of what we did with finding and teaching so much as it was about those that were there, members of the church in that area that took them and took them into their lives and and helped helped them know what it was like to be a day-to-day member of the church. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you the story of the very first time I visited a ward. Um, it wasn't even my ward, wasn't even in my stake, but it's the building that's closest to my house and it's where I knew. And I had a Sunday free from the church I was working at. And I thought, well, I'm just going to, you're going to laugh. I'm just going to go like real casual and sneak <laughs> in back and, and, you know, in such a way that nobody's going to notice me. And in fact, what I told myself was I'm going to dress just to blend in. So I'm just going to put on a, some jeans and a t-shirt and, <laughs> and I'm just going to be incognito. Nobody's even going to notice me. Well, of course, every single person in the building noticed me. <laughs> and, and one of the, one of the women in that ward um, had come up to talk to me. And I, by that point had noticed that literally everyone, including the toddlers were better dressed than I was at that moment. And so I made a joke because that's what I do. Um, and she grabbed my hand and very seriously said, absolutely not. You do not feel bad about that. If you want to come back next week, you text me and I will wear jeans and we'll sit in the front together and wear jeans. I don't care. And it was just the sweetest thing. Oh, that's so beautiful. So like, yes, the missionaries were wonderful, but I needed experiences like that. Yeah. I mean, so, okay. I will speak from the missionary point of view at this point. Mm -hmm. So I did, this is back when, you know, like I said, I'm almost 44. So this is back when sisters would go when you were 21. Okay. So, um, I was called, I put in my mission papers. This is back before the whole technology where you digitally got all your stuff. Mine's old school paper. Um, and I get this letter and it tells me that I'm officially called as a missionary. I'm going to the Brazil uh, Belo Horizonte Minas Gerais West Mission, which is in the state of Minas Gerais. It's like, I don't know if people know the geography of Brazil. They just see the big country down in the South America. <laughs> yeah. But if you're really curious to know, it's the state just right north of Sao Paulo, the state. Oh, okay. So it's kind of the middle. Yeah. Anyway. So, um, there I was, was like panicked. I took high school Spanish, obviously didn't help because Portuguese is the language in Brazil. Right. And so I went to the MTC, the training center in Provo. Um, at the time they had just started a new way that they were going to do it because they had opened, um, training centers in different parts of the world. So I was part of what was called phase training. Mm-hmm. So I went, I know it's very fancy. I went to Provo for five weeks uh-huh. and then they sent us down to the MTC in Sao Paulo oh, okay. and I was there for four weeks. So, um, there was not a scarier moment in my life short of having my first child and them letting me take her home from the hospital without right. a nurse. Um, was I more terrified Then one day when they said to all of us missionaries, they said, okay, we're going to take you out of the MTC and we're going to take you to this, this feta, which is like a, you know, like a farmer's market. Yeah. And you got, you you have to, you know, stay with your companion and stuff, but you're just going to go out there and you're just going to learn how to chat with people. And I was, it was terrifying. I knew how to say a very basic prayer in Portuguese and um, kind of my testimony. 
mm-hmm. kind of a little bit. And that was, that was pretty much it. So didn't help me a lot when you're around vegetables and fruits and yep. whatever. So truly terrifying. But anyway, to go further with this story is it really was tremendously difficult mm-hmm. um, physically, mentally, spiritually. It was such a hard thing. But I love Elder Idukaitis in this talk because I have to tell you, just like he did, it has truly changed my life. Um, I literally can say that it has affected my life as far as how I met my husband because mm-hmm. he was my district leader at one point. Love it. Yes. Um, and that obviously changed the whole trajectory of my future right there. But I have been able to look back on my life and the, and the struggles and the hardships and things and realize, wow, I was able to really get through that because of serving my mission. Yeah. So you as a convert and me as a returned missionary, we are quite the pair. <laughs> um, what did you like? What was your original, like, what was your takeaways from this talk regarding missionary work? Um, you know, I feel like this talk and you're right. That's the theme, in my opinion, at least of this whole conference. Um, it was, it's so affirming to the idea that this is not a church to, mm, how do I say it? To kind of just like sit back and enjoy your sweet little family and never worry about anybody else. Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, before I joined the church, there was part of me that kind of thought that. Like, oh, they're just stuck in their own little families and they don't actually, they, they're just like insular. All they care about is like the people that they're related to. That was my, that mm-hmm. was my impression. Um, and obviously I figured out that wasn't true. Um, and I look back at that now and think it's kind of funny because the whole like missionary emphasis thrust of all of this is is so huge. So I don't know, for me, it just, it just massively reinforces my belief in this being a, a true church. Yes, I I do love that. So I I have gone the rounds with even being a return missionary. Of course, I'll admit I've been home a little. You know, but it's been a couple of decades, yeah, couple but years. Yeah. <clears throat> just a couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I actually a funny story about five years ago. We have a twelve year old. We've been married. It'll be twenty years in June. But about five years ago, my husband said something to someone, and he's like, "Yeah, I served a mission about ten years ago." And I'm like, <laughs> "Nope." You are in so much denial about how old you are. It's just sad. It's so sad. But I think now, okay, now with us, we're both members of the church. And obviously this talk, I felt like, you know, it kind of, it seems to imply more towards those who are preparing to serve a full-time mission or even service missionaries, like couples and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I love, I kind of want to go in a little bit more to what you were talking about with your example, with your, in, uh, what's the word, experience of what you had as a, as a investigator and a convert to the church. Um, you did talk about how members helped you, but what were some of the ways that they did help you? Yeah. So one of my big issues that probably took me the longest amount of time to get over was I was really distrustful of the idea of having a prophet. Like everything I had learned in like evangelical Christianity was against that. And my own personal experience of religious men who had abused their power made me really, really skeptical of that. And so for a couple of probably six or eight weeks, to be honest, we had been 
kind of mulling over that in the in the gospel principles class when the missionaries came to me and said, oh, we just learned that President Nelson is going to come to Safeco Field, the, the baseball field, and do a talk for, for the people of Seattle, and, and we're going to get you tickets so that you can go. Well, fantastic. I've been wondering about this prophet man. Let, let's go see him. <laughs> and, I mean, it was, you know, there's 40,000 people there. I had intended to find the missionaries and sit with them, and I never did, but I sat with some friends, and I'd gotten there early. And more than learning the, like, doctrine of why a prophet matters and why we need one that didn't that didn't really all those weeks did not move anything in me but when i sat for an hour at the baseball stadium waiting for this these talks to begin everyone all around me they were talking about like the the prophet that was their prophet like usually the one from when they were young or whatever, or like their favorite thing that a prophet had ever said and how it had impacted, like the entire place is talking about this stuff. And it was so beautifully like non-cynical. It was just, it was just faith. Right. And I was coming at it from such a cynical point of view of like, Oh yeah, he's the prophet. Like what nonsense is he up to on the side? Like, that's really what I thought. Um, and to hear all of these people, like real adults, my age talking about how having a prophet has impacted them. It totally squared away that issue for me, like in that hour. Wow. How did you feel being in the same stadium as him? I mean, I know you also went to conference, but you know, I mean, it was interesting. He's obviously impressive as a human being. I don't know that anything, I don't know that anything he said or presented that was really like, oh, that makes me believe. It was the, the people I sat with and the people all around us that helped my faith grow more than he himself did. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, he's, he's a delight to listen to, extremely effective at communicating. Like I appreciated all of those things, but it was the, the ways in which normal people relate to having a prophet in this faith-filled, non-cynical kind of way. I think that's a really cool way um, to see it because um, I have had an experience where I've been in the same room as a prophet a couple of times, and I've had a different experience. Mm -hmm. I love your experience where the faith of those around you kind of helped you start to develop faith. Mm-hmm. And that is so cool about missionary work because I love that. And I love how you had such a positive experience about members of the church, pretty, pretty much just bringing you into their fold and taking care of you. Um, because it really, I it really, that really is the key. Um, I think for each and every one of us as members of the church is we need to love people into the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be there for them. Like I have a neighbor next door and she's so darling. She's so darling. She's from another faith. But as soon as we moved into this ward, she was just her ward. <laughs> as soon as we moved into this neighborhood, she was like, Oh, welcome. We're so excited to have you. And just so sweet. Brought us over. We moved because we're crazy. We moved into this house like two weeks before Christmas. Oh wow. Us, yeah, it was nuts. Um, brought us a little thing of, you know, Christmas treats and just so sweet friended me on Facebook, put me on the the Facebook uh, neighborhood page. And 
I live in the South. I live in Tennessee. We have tons and tons of churches here. And I am ashamed to say this, but I will because now I need to own it. I've been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints my entire life. And I have not outwardly been as Christian as these Christian people have shown me. Mm-hmm. They live what they believe and very valiantly and very loudly sometimes. Yeah. And yes, you know, there's moments where it's like in your face, but I admire the boldness. Mm-hmm. I admire the the just solid belief that of what they have is so precious to them. And I am so grateful that I get to live next door to an amazing friend who is not of my faith. She invites me to her church stuff. I invite her to my church stuff. (laughs) We go back and forth, back and forth. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing experience. And so I, I'm grateful for that um, perspective and I'm grateful for what you shared because I think, and I hope people who listen to this podcast realize how truly valuable they are to those around them. Yeah. It, it makes me think of um, one of the women who was in the gospel principles class with me. She, she's still a very good friend of mine. Her name is Bethany. And Bethany is as sweet and mild mannered as you can imagine. Blonde and adorable and a mom of seven and just a cupcake. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was there was one day in our lesson where we're talking about the the three degrees of glory. And I was like, I don't want to end up at the bottom. That sounds terrible. <laughs> and sweet, sweet Bethany in like an unusually bold move. She just kind of leans forward and says, well, then don't. Right. Like wow. she's as kind and like loving and gentle as possible. And that was an incredibly bold thing for her to say. Like, you don't want to go there, then don't. Right. Wow. Like, like, figure it out, Jennifer. Yeah. <laughs> but it, I've teased her about it a, a few times since then because it's probably the boldest thing I've ever heard her say. The <laughs> kids she has to yell after, right? Like, oh my gosh. Um, but I I needed I needed that kind of clarity. Or like even when my friend the reporter says, like, I have scriptures you don't have. That caught my attention. Yeah. Right. He could have just said, Well, you know, I don't know, I've got different beliefs about Moses. And I would have been like, Oh, that's cool. Right. But to to make a, a bold declaration um coming from a, a point of it's very it's very compelling. That's so amazing. And I, I don't know if you've asked them or they've said it, but did they after like maybe if you brought it up to them like what you said to me really affected me. Did they say they felt prompted to say it or was it just something that they just were like, this is, I just got to say this. You know, (laughs) the feedback that I got from several people was, um, I mean, I look now and laugh because I'm friends with all of these folks, but Mm -hmm. at the time they were feeling, I don't know if intimidated is the right word. Um, Like I have an advanced degree in theology. I can read Greek and Hebrew. I've studied the Bible my entire life. I have 60 chapters of the Bible memorized. I've spent my entire life loving and reading and studying the Bible, right? So the feedback they have given me was like, we were kind of afraid we were going to say something (laughs) absolutely offensive or wrong to you. So we were just winging it and doing the very best we could and trying to stay close to the spirit. And, and, (laughs) and really that's what they were doing. Um, the, the knowledge that I brought to the table 
in some ways was a, a barrier to me getting it. It, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, I've helped the missionaries teach lessons to people and, and, and been able to be at the baptisms of people that we have taught since then. And, and many of those folks who come from far less church or Bible background than I did, they had it easier. Mine, mm-hmm. mine was hard. And I get it that it was kind of intimidating to some, I don't think of myself as an intimidating person by any means, but I get what they're saying. Right. Um, and they had to express a lot of faith to be able to speak plainly and clearly and boldly in the way that they did. Wow. That's amazing. I, on a personal note, I, at the beginning of, of the year, because we're studying in church and the come follow me, we're studying the old Testament, which you're probably just dancing circles around. <laughs> um, I just thought, you know what? I have never read the old Testament all the way through, like cover to cover. Yeah. And so I'm going to do it. Gosh, darn it. And so I have been, I have been, and I got to tell you, there are some days where, cause I, I, I figured I do, I read three chapters a day. I'll be done by the end of the year. Yeah. So I, I, I will admit to you, Jennifer, because I feel like we're besties now. I will like read a chapter and be like, okay, I know what's going on. Like, I know what's happening here. I can, I can pick up. And then there's chapters where I read it. I'm like, I have no idea of what just happened. Yeah, I, I literally do. And um, so I might have to, you know, stalk you on Facebook every once in a while now with, uh, hey, especially with your Hebrew insight here. What is happening? <laughs> can't follow the story here. What is going on? <laughs> it's been so fun for me to um, like bring kind of my past perspective on the Old Testament and and have it be in conversation with some new perspectives. It. It's been a fun year for me, and I'm looking forward to New Testament year next year, too, for the same reason. Oh, yeah. See, I love the New Testament. I'm like, I've done that one. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm geared up. I, I've, been, I've been, how do I put it? I've been really, you know, kind of cheering myself on mm-hmm. for when I hit Isaiah. I'm like, okay, I'm going to hit Isaiah. It's going to be awesome. I... Um, I- <laughs> When I figured, so I didn't know that there were chapters of Isaiah in the Book of Mormon. That mm-hmm. was news to me the first time I read it. And when I read that, that was actually a really pivotal moment for me. Really? Because I had been so trained and so taught to say the Bible is the only scripture that exists. Anything else that claims to be scripture is not. And so okay. when I found Isaiah in the Book of Mormon, I went, oh, this is fascinating. If I'm going to say that Isaiah is true when it's between the covers of the Bible, I also have to say it's true if it's between the covers of the Book of Mormon, right? Like it, I can't yeah. say it's true here and it's false here. Wow. And so when I, I am probably the only person I know, but I love that Isaiah is in the Book of Mormon. I love all of the Isaiah chapters. I'm a huge geek. You hit me up and we will talk about it. <laughs> Oh, my friend, we will, because I am, I'm like, we've got, I've got to get it this time through. I just, I've studied Isaiah. I've read through it a bunch of times, but you know, again, um, I use like Institute manuals and I also just to give a shout out to the virtual Jewish library, they have virtual Jewish library. I have, that's been very helpful to me for my old Testament, by the way. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'm like, they, they know what's going I, for me. It's, I, I love how we're diverting and totally going into old Testament right now, but just one more second of this, because I just love how I think probably my main problem 
not problem, but my issue with understanding the Old Testament is it's because it's so old and the customs are different and the culture and, and uh, yeah. <laughs> also in comparison to the Book of Mormon, you do not ever have to go more than three chapters in the Book of Mormon before you find something that's very soul nourishing. Right. But the Old Testament will make you go 200 pages sometimes. Yes. Before you get a gem. And that's a long trek. I've, I've found those valleys. Yes. <laughs> and there's more coming. <laughs> and there are, I'm sure there are more coming. I'm in, I'm in Ezra. Oh, no, I just finished Ezra. Oh, so. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I've, I've appreciated it. One thing that um, I've really loved about it is, you know, back in that time, it was, it was where the rubber meets the road kind of way of living. You know, you, you commit adultery, you die, Yep. you steal, you get your head cut off. Like it was very, you know, and nowadays, I mean, it's, it's just, we, there's a lot of, uh, what was the word? Just the, the, We've been mar. Someone in my institute class said we've been marginalizing God, and I think that's kind of the way that I yeah. like to put it. Is like we're really kind of putting it out in the margins there. The, what's really important, the commandments. Yeah. Nobody's well. preaching from Ezra these days, right? No, they're not. Yeah, and that I mean, yeah, Ezra is actually not too hard to understand. It's before and after so far. You know? But no, I, I, yeah. So anyway, but I know we kind of got off on a little tangent about the <laughs> Old Testament. That was my bad, but I did want to pick your brain a little bit about that inadvertently. Um, but but I do love all of this because I think members of the church who are hopefully listening to this podcast, they're realizing, as I am realizing, how truly important we are um, by our examples, our influence, our friendships with others. Um, Matthew Watkins and I, I have to give him a shout out. He's another host on this uh, this podcast group that we have going he and I have talked about this so many times about how members of the church sometimes feel like they have to create a new program or a new mission or goal or something. And really missionary work is it's like, it's like wearing the same hat. It's all part of being a member of the church. It's just be who you are. And a previous podcast I had been in, I remarked, I can't remember who the talk was now because it's late. But um, he is a member of the 70 and he went up to a guy at the um, airport um, in customs <laughs> to show his passport. And he legit just like was like, so what are your thoughts about God? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And I just thought that was amazing. And what's even more amazing is the man thoughtfully responded to him. Yeah. And I thought, I don't know if I'm, you know, I had served a mission. I wore the name tag. I knocked on a lot of doors. Brazilians um, are very friendly, nice people. They never, we did have some people that were pretty rude. Mm -hmm. um, sister missionaries were kind of lucky. They, they're not as rude to the women as they are to yeah. the men. But, but there were many times, most, their most favorite um, thing to do would be, oh, sure, come back. And then they just wouldn't be home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we got ghosted a lot. But but I just love that, how how just so nice he was and just said, what are your thoughts about God? And it led to this amazing conversation. Um, anyway, I'm kind of going off, but I just love that. Was there anything else in this talk specifically from Elder Aetokitis that you love that you want to bring up? Um, no, not that I can think of specifically. Do you do you have a, any specific part you loved that we haven't gone over yet? The funny part I liked was he was talking kind of at the beginning about 
the struggles he was going through just to go on a mission. He had, he had had a lot of uh, some opposition. First it was from his dentist, which I thought was hilarious. (laughs) And then he said his university was kind of giving him a hard time that he wouldn't be able to go back. And then he met a girl that he was, he was really interested in. And so then he goes on to talk about how much he had learned about his, about his mission and what it really helped him. And, how it was instrumental. And he said in my preparation for adult life, including possible marriage and parenthood, church service and professional and community life, which I learned that. Mm. Um, and specifically now I'm going back to school for my bachelor's degree now, finally nice. after a million years. Um, and that has helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, the mission has helped me with that, which is amazing. I'm like, I'm not a quitter. I'm going to get straight A's and I'm going to do what I can. And that's kind of the attitude I had as a missionary. You know, if you, if you just think about the missionary program from a, like a psychological point of view, there mm-hmm. is nothing better for those young right? development than to be given responsibility, to be trusted with, with a pretty heavy load. Mm-hmm. And the expectation is they're going to be able to do it. Like the amount of growing up that they do in those 18 months or two years, you, you don't find that replicated in university students, in kids who are working and kids who joined the military there. It's phenomenal just in terms of young adult development. Yeah. I, um, I've thought a lot about like what, where would I have been if I had not served a mission or what kind of person I was a lot, people don't believe me when I say that I was pretty reserved when I was younger because I'm a talker. (laughs) <laughs> but I really was, and I had a really hard time and the mission really kind of opened me up mm-hmm. and it was really hard, but it was literally like a life within a life. Yeah. You have this really condensed time where you're kind of put through the refiner's fire and you, but you're so happy. Yeah. I was so happy the whole time because I wasn't thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about what I need to be doing. I was just thinking about God and I hope that, I hope people that are listening to this that are considering serving a mission, it just was such a true, truly happy time. And I'm in communication with a uh, one a missionary who served here um, in one of the wards I was in. <clears throat> um, and we've been Facebook, like messaging back and forth. And she's been home for a few months and she's having a hard time yeah. because, you know, that whole 18 months was just. I love the Lord. I get to serve. I get to always be serving people. And now she's home and she's got to think about herself. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the psychological research supports that too. Every bit of psychological research we have on young adults says, if you give them high expectations and high support, that is what produces the happiness, the the, the happiest version of them. Low expectations, low support is the worst. Low expectations High support makes them feel babied and and mm-hmm. like they're infants. Mm-hmm. High, high, high expectations. They give them something to reach for with appropriate safety nets and support as needed. That's what produces good outcomes. That's so good to know. Very quickly before we were getting to the end here, but I was at um, a stake conference, our stake conference recently, and the adult session where they just have all the adults to listen in or participate. They were for our sake, they were just talking about the sad lowering rates of the seminary students. Mm. Um, and so they were kind of bringing that up and they were kind of, but what the reason I'm bringing it up is because the speaker who was talking about this in the presidency, he said, what can we do 
what can we do to help our kids help Mm -hmm. them be, you know, to go to seminary, to continue to, to, you know, achieve these goals that we have, we hope that they have for themselves. And that really gave me pause because I don't have a high school kid yet. I don't have a kid in seminary yet. Um, But I got, I thought about that. I went, Oh my goodness, I can be an influence to the seminary kids now. Um, And so I think that's also something to think about is that we, we can, it doesn't matter, you know, if you've served a mission, if you're a convert, if you're new or whatever, like you can be an influence to those around you. And I, and I think generally speaking for all general conference with missionary work being the theme, um, I really felt like that's what they're saying to all of us. It's like, okay, so you and I both right now, we cannot go out and serve a proselyting mission. However, we can help those that can. Yeah. We can be that support. And I just love that. Um, a final thought, as I was saying earlier, that I love so much about him talking about the opposition he had faced. I love what he says kind of at the end of his talk. He kind of gives, you know, the resolution to it. And he said, God truly blessed me. Remember the challenges that I thought I faced prior to my mission? My dentist? I found another. <laughs> my university? They made an exception for me. Remember that, young woman? She married one of my good friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he laughed at that part. So you really do have to hear his laugh. It's yeah. so fantastic. Um, but I love how he said that after his mission, he benefited from increased courage to prevent, present himself as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and his church in all circumstances and to all people, mm. even sharing the gospel with a beautiful woman who had become his virtuous, wise, fun, and beloved eternal companion. Yeah. So the thing I love so much about that part is, and I know this to be true, is that Heavenly Father does so much more for our lives than we can do for ourselves. And if we dedicate a small portion of our time, of our life, he'll make it so much better than it was. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I would have been if I had not served a mission. Um it definitely wouldn't have been bilingual because I'm lazy by nature. So I know that for sure. Um, and I met a really great man and married him. I don't know what I would have, what it would have been like if not. So who knows about that? Um, but missionary missions are amazing. And yes, they're hard, but you know what? There are a lot of hard things in life and they're all worth it. That's right. I love that. So, yeah. I just feel like also nowadays, like if something's hard, people just kind of are like, eh, yeah. don't want to do that. Yep. But yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, do you have any final thoughts or anything? We talked and talked and I just loved this. I am just so grateful for the, the missionaries that have been in my life, the members who still, still carry me along with my questions and my mm-hmm. incessant whatever. Um, I, I wish I would have made this choice to join this church decades ago. I, I, that's my only regret is that I didn't do this when I was a lot younger um, and it didn't work out that way. And that, that is how it is. And just so grateful that it was able to work out as it did. Well, speaking as one who has served a mission, I can tell you right now, if a person like you came up to me and asked me about reading a book that had more of Moses or ch- essentially chased me down the street as a missionary <laughs> And wanting to know more, it would, it would, it would make me nervous at first. I, I can totally understand, but it would, I would be just like blown away. And I bet you, I bet you that all of these missionaries that have been involved with you, they went home and they have been talking about Jennifer Roach as their. Isn't that hysterical? I think it's so funny. 
I but I bet you they do because it's just such an inspiring story. It's so amazing to me that I don't know, the Lord knows you and he loves you and he knows how to get to you. Yeah. And even though I know you wanted it earlier in your life, the fact of how it came to be and so beautiful in such a really a traumatic time of your life. I mean, a lawsuit and change of your job and your you yeah. know lifestyle. And I mean, I know there's a lot of sacrifice there, um, but that the Lord reached out to you at that time and you were able to they recognize that that is just that blows my mind. That's so beautiful. It's been lovely. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, well, again, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. This was so amazing. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast, where we discussed Elder Karen's and Elder Ida Kytus' addresses. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify, YouTube, Google, Stitcher, Amazon, Audible, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, and Facebook and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find links to all of our platforms on our website, conferencetalk.org. And you know what else is at conferencetalk.org? Everything. Go there to follow us on social media, drop us a comment, check out the show notes, find related talks, or learn more about us, your hosts. A big thanks to Jennifer Roach for hopping on mics with me today. You can follow her. We've talked about this. She and I have something in common. We're on the interwebs. We are on Facebook. You can friend us. <laughs> so find her on Facebook. Um, and me as well. You can follow me on Conference Talk, because I'm here. And also on Facebook as well. I have a very unique last name, so I'm sure you'll find me. Um, we do always appreciate new followers, but it's even better to follow the prophet and the apostles themselves. So we love speaking about the church and our leaders, but we also do not speak for them. Everything said on this podcast represents our own personal opinions. So join us next week for another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast.